section 12 of chapter 23 of a history of england this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by carmen h history of england by thomas babington macaulay chapter 23 section 12 against these terms lewis exclaimed loudly nobody he said to knew with how sensitive a jealousy the spaniards watched every encroachment on their colonial empire would believe that they would ever consent to give up any part of their empire either to england or to holland the demand which was made upon himself was altogether inadmissible a barrier was not less necessary to france than to holland and he never would break the iron chain of frontier fastnesses which was the defence of his own kingdom even in order to purchase another kingdom for his grandson on that subject he begged that he might hear no more the proposition was one which he would not discuss one to which he would not listen as william however resolutely maintained that the terms which he had offered hard as they might seem were the only terms on which england and holland could suffer a bourbon to reign at madrid louis began seriously to consider whether it might not be on the whole for his interest and that of his family rather to sell the spanish crown dear than to buy it dear he therefore now offered to withdraw his opposition to the bavarian claim provided a portion of the disputed inheritance were assigned to him in consideration of his disinterestedness and moderation william was perfectly willing and even eager to treat on this basis the first demands of louis were as might have been expected exorbitantly high he asked for the kingdom of navarre which would have made him little less than master of the whole iberian peninsula and for the duchy of luxembourg which would have made him more dangerous than ever to the united provinces on both points he encountered a steady resistance the impression which throughout these transactions the firmness and good faith of william made on Tala is remarkable at first the dexterous and keen-witted frenchman was all suspicion he imagined that there was an evasion in every phrase a hidden snare in every offer but after a time he began to discover that he had to do with a man far too wise to be false the king of england he wrote and it is impossible to doubt that he wrote what he thought acts with good faith in everything his way of dealing is upright and sincere the king of england he wrote a few days later has hitherto acted with great sincerity and i venture to say that if he once enters into a treaty he will steadily adhere to it but in the same letter the ambassador thought it necessary to hint to his master that the diplomatic chicanery which might be used in other negotiations would be all thrown away here i must venture to observe to your majesty that the king of england is very sharp-sighted that his judgment is sound and that if we try to spin the negotiation out he will very soon perceive that we are trifling with him during some time projects and counter-projects continued to pass and repass between kensington and Versailles. something was considered on both sides and when the session of parliament ended there seemed to be a fair hopes of a settlement and now the scene of the negotiation was again changed having been shifted from france to england it was shifted from england to holland as soon as william had prorogued the houses he was impatient to be again in his native land he felt all the glee of a schoolboy who is leaving harsh masters and quarrelsome comrades to pass the christmas holidays at a happy home 
that stern and composed face which had been the same in the pursuit at bourne and in the road at landon and of which the keenest politicians had in vain tried to read the secret now wore an expression but too intelligible the english were not a little provoked by seeing their king so happy hitherto his annual visits to the continent had been not only pardoned but approved it was necessary that he should be at the head of his army if he had left his people it had been in order to put his life in jeopardy for their independence their liberty and their religion but they had hoped that when peace had been restored when no call of duty required him to cross the sea he would generally during the summer and autumn reside in his fair palaces and parks on the banks of the thames or travel from country seat to country seat and from cathedral town to cathedral town making himself acquainted with every share of his realm and giving his hand to be kissed by multitudes of squares clergymen and other men who were not likely ever to see him unless he came among them it now appeared that he was sick of the noble residences which had descended to him from ancient princes that he was sick even of those mansions which the liberality of parliament had enabled him to build and embellish according to his own taste that he was sick of windsor of richmond and of hampton that he promised himself no enjoyment from a progress through the flourishing and populous countries which he had never seen yorkshire and norfolk cheshire shropshire and worcestershire while he was forced to be with us he was weary of us pining for his home counting the hours to the prorogation as soon as the housing of the last view of supply had set him at liberty he turned his back on his english subjects he hastened to his seat in Gurdus, where during some months he might be free from the annoyance of seeing english faces and hearing english words and he would with difficulty tear himself away from his favourite spot when it became absolutely necessary that he should again ask for english money thus his subjects murmured but in spite of their murmurs he set off in high spirits it had been arranged that Tollard should speedily follow him and that the discussion in which they had been engaged at kensington should be resumed at loo and seals whose cooperation was indispensable would be there portland too would lend his assistance he had just returned he had always considered his mission as an extraordinary mission of which the object was to put the relations between the two great western powers on a proper footing after a long series of years during which england had been sometimes the enemy but never the equal friend of france his task had been well performed and he now came back leaving behind him the reputation of an excellent minister firm yet cautious as to substance dignified yet conciliating in manner his last audience at versailles was unusually long and no third person was present nothing could be more gracious than the language and demeanour of louis he condescended to trace a route for the embassy and insisted that portland should make a circuit for the purpose of inspecting some of the superb fortresses of the french netherlands at every one of those fortresses the governors and engineers had ordered to pay every attention to the distinguished stranger salutes were everywhere fired to welcome him a guard of honour was everywhere in attendance on him he stopped during three days at chantilly and was entertained there by the prince of conte with all that taste and magnificence for which chantilly had long been renowned there were boar hunts in the morning and concerts in the evening every gentleman of the legation had a gamekeeper specially assigned to him the guests who in their own island were accustomed to give extravagant wills at every country house which they visited 
learned with admiration that his highness servant was strictly forbidden to receive presents at his luxurious table by a refinement of politeness choice cider from the orchards round the melbourne hills made its appearance in company with the champagne and the burgundy portland was welcomed by his master with all the kindness of old times but that kindness availed nothing for elsmar was still in the royal household and appeared to have been during the last few months making progress in the royal favour portland was angry and the more angry because he could not but perceive that his enemies enjoyed his anger and that even his friends generally thought it unreasonable nor did he take any pains to conceal his vexation but he was the very opposite of the vulgar crowd of courtiers who fawn on the monster while they betray him who neither discussed his ill-humour nor suffered it to interfere with the discharge of his duties he gave his spring sullen looks short answers and faithful and strenuous services his first wish he said was to retire altogether from public life but he was sensible that having borne a chief part in negotiation on which the fate of europe depended he might be of use aloof and with devoted loyalty though with a sore heart and a gloomy brow he prepared to attend william titter before the king departed he delegated his power to nine lord justices the public was well pleased to find that sunderland was not among them two new names appeared in the list that of Montague could excite no surprise but that of marlborough awakened many recollections and gave occasion to many speculations he had once enjoyed a large measure of royal favour he had then been dismissed disgraced in prison the princess anne for refusing to discard his wife had been turned out of the palace and deprived of the honours which had often been enjoyed by persons less near to the throne ministers who were supposed to have great influence in a closet had vainly tried to overcome the dislike with which their master regarded the churches it was not till he had been some time reconciled to his sister-in-law that he ceased to regard her two favourite servants as his enemies so late as the year sixteen ninety six he had been heard to say if i had been a private gentleman my lord marlborough and i must have measured swords all these things were now it seemed forgotten the duke of gloucester's household had just been arranged as he was not yet nine years old and the civil list was burdened with a heavy debt fifteen thousand pounds was thought for the present a sufficient provision the child's literary education was directed by burnett with the title of preceptor marlborough was appointed governor and the london gazette announced his appointment not with official dryness but in the fervid language of panegyric he was at the same time again sworn a member of the privy council from which he had been expelled with ignominy and he was honoured a few days later with a still higher mark of the king's confidence a seat at the board of regency some persons imagined that they saw in this strange reconciliation a sign that the influence of portland was on the wane and that the influence of elmore was growing for marlborough had been many years at sea with portland and had even a rare event indeed been so much irritated as to speak of portland in coarse and ungentlemanlike terms with elmore on the other hand Marlborough had studiously ingratiated himself by all the arts which a mind singularly observant and sagacious could learn from a long experience in courts, and it is possible that Elfmore may have removed some difficulties. It is hardly necessary, however, to resort to the supposition for the purpose of explaining why so wise a man as William forced himself, 
after some delay caused by very just and natural resentment to act wisely his opinion of marlborough's character was probably unaltered but he could not help perceiving that marlborough's situation was widely different from what it had been a few years before that very ambition that very avarice which had in former times impelled him to betray two masters were now sufficient securities for his fidelity to the order of things which had been established by the bill of rights if that order of things could be maintained inviolate he could scarcely fail to be in a few years the greatest and wealthiest subject in europe his military and political talents might therefore now be used without any apprehension that they will be turned against the government which used them it is to be remembered too that he derived his importance less from his military and political talents great as they were than from the dominant which through the instrumentality of his wife he exercised over the mind of the princess while he was on good terms with the court it was certain that she would lend no countenance to any cover which might attack either the title or the prerogatives of her brother-in-law confident that from this quarter a quarter once the darkest and most stormy in the whole political horizon nothing but sunshine and calm was now to be expected william set out cheerfully on his expedition to his native country end of section twelve end of chapter twenty three of the history of england by thomas babington macaulay